You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 72. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week in our Your Stock Our Take segment, we take a look at microcap Beware Holdings, symbol BEW on the TSX Venture, a mobile Internet of Things or MIOT solution provider, which is growing revenue at a significant clip. A listener asks us our take on the stock as it progresses towards potential profitability. Our star of the week is the Simply Good Foods Company, symbol SMPL on the NASDAQ, a developer, marketer, and seller of branded nutritional snacking and meal replacement products. The business seems to be on trend, and the stock is responding following a strong quarter release this past week, up 17.5% in the last five days and 47% year-to-date. Can it continue? We'll let you know. Finally, our dog of the week is CanTrust. Holdings, symbol TRST on the TSX. It's a federally regulated licensed producer of medical and recreational cannabis in Canada. On July 8th, CanaTrust disclosed that it had gotten into hot water with Health Canada by producing more than 12 metric tons of dried cannabis in unlicensed growth growing facilities. We'll let you know whether it is a continued dog or an opportunity. We'd like to get into the show right now. I'm excited to welcome and introduce a new contributor. That would be Brendan Habetler, one of our new analysts at Keystone. Brennan has been with us for around a month now, so we're happy to have him aboard, and he'll be contributing to our weekly podcast. I welcome you, Brennan. Thanks, Ryan. Looking forward to it. Uh, and yeah, I can't wait to be a part of the team here on the weekly podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, pro- I probably destroyed your last name there. Can you say it once for us? So we can, Habitler. We ha- Habitler. It's, uh, it's German. There you go. Yeah, there you go. It, it sounds so much better when you say it. It's smooth. Uh, Aaron, you had a couple questions for Brennan to get him started, don't well, you? I just wanted to welcome Brennan to the podcast. It's it's great to have you here. So we've we've as Ryan said, we've we've had Brennan here working for us on the research side for about a month, and uh, definitely happy with what we see so far. We we like people that have a lot of passion for investing, and that's certainly something that Brennan. Uh, has shown that he has. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, Brennan, about what uh, what drew you to investing finance as a career and, and just kind of where, where that passion comes from. Yeah, for sure. So initially, I, I need to give uh, some credit to my father here. Uh, I grew up in a household where he was always, you know, walking around the house, talking on his phone and talking stocks to his stock buddies. So it definitely planted the seed in me, uh, you know, young. Um and essentially, you know, I went to business school and my passion really came out. Uh, it was 
yeah, it'd be my second year of business school in my intro to finance class. And we ended up doing a capital budgeting assignment and learning about the time value of money. And I just knew instantly there, uh, this is what I want to do. This is so intriguing. Uh, it's something I've never seen before. Um, so yeah, and I guess I just kind of flourished uh, from there and just got more into finance. Um, and I'd also like to add, I am a little bit of a history buff. Um, and you know, people might ask, how does history and finance relate? Uh, well, the big thing here is that every single company is a story and it's about knowing where a company's been, where they are right now and where they're going. Uh, and in finance, you know, you can also make some money off of it. So uh, it's, it's just a, it, it's a great thing. It really caught my interest uh, and it's a great feeling to seeing a stock go up that you do recommend, uh, even if you don't have money in it, just knowing that you've made a right call. Um, and I mean, they don't always go that way, but, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, definitely what got me, uh, intrigued by finance. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that I'm starting a career here with Keystone. It's going to be, uh, yeah, a, a great career. I hope. Well, one of the things that I love about what you said there is, is talking about the history of, of companies and how you like to dig into the story. Cause that's really something that we always try and drive home to investors that a company is not just a, a ticker symbol or a stock chart. There's an actual story behind it. Um, there's an actual business behind it. And sometimes it's a good story and sometimes it's it's a horrible story. So um, really investing, certainly the, the art of investing is a lot about just understanding that story and some of the things that will drive the future success or or lack thereof of the company. So it's it's something exactly. that's good, good to hear. Um, Favorite investor of all time, not including myself or Ryan. <laughs> well, geez, geez. I mean, you guys are up there for sure. Um, Obviously. But I'd probably have to say Peter Lynch. Um, you know, the one quote that Peter Lynch uh, said that sticks out to me is, know what you own and know why you own it. Uh, again, just referring back to what you were saying, Aaron, it's not just a ticker symbol. There's an actual company behind it and it has a story. Uh, so again, it's knowing what you own and knowing why you own it. If you have a portfolio, you should be able to look at every single one of those stocks that you own in your portfolio and justify why you're holding it. Otherwise, you know, if you don't know uh, what you own and why you own it, you know, get it out of there. It, that's just, that's not investing, I, I guess I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great answer. Because, I mean, we literally at our seminars, you know, I told a story about, you know, how many times we have investors come up to us and say, you know, I own ABC stock. Um, I don't know what the heck it does, but can you tell me, is it a good holding in my portfolio? And, you know, the first thing I would say is you should probably start off by at least knowing the basic business uh, of that company that you own. And, uh, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll stand you in good stead to understand the business and know where the business is at. And, and you know, you don't need to know exactly how to value the company based on cash flow. It's nice if you do. You can use a service like ours that do, that does understand that, but at least know what the business uh, that you're holding that investment uh, in does. It's a great start. And then you can, uh, if there is anything that goes on with that business, you can react accordingly. So it's a good answer for sure. Uh, we'll, we'll see how you do throughout this podcast. And uh, we'll, uh, if you do well, of course, maybe we'll invite them back next week, eh, Aaron? Well, maybe. We'll see. No pressure. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no pressure. Still, still. Yeah, it's no pressure. Yeah. But I, I'd like to ask you, Aaron, I'd like to move on. Again, thanks again, Brennan, for uh, uh, coming on the show this weekend. And I think, I think I have an inkling we'll have you on next week as well. But uh, Aaron, 
I wanted to ask you, you put out a video this week on how, how you can avoid being a victim of fraud in the stock market. I think it was all about finding tools that can help people avoid unnecessary risk and losses. One tool, tool kind of caught your attention. Can you go into that for a second? I think it was a great video, and I think uh, all our listeners should take a look at that. We're posting it up on our site this week, and it's on uh, our LinkedIn as well right now. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So uh, what I did is I, I, I put together uh, a video on a tool for fraud detection that is called uh, the, the Benish M-Score, and it was developed by an accounting professor named uh, Masad Daniel Benish. Um, so what he did is he took a data set of companies that had uh, committed fraud, been, been known to commit fraud, fraud financial fraud, um, and also there were companies that were that had not committed financial fraud, and he used statistical analysis to find the patterns um, between the two companies that, that differentiated those two groups of companies so that he could essentially uh, create a tool. It's, it's, it's somewhat of an equation um, that you can apply to determine if there's a high probability that a company is manipulating its earnings or, or committing fraud. So tools like these, I think, are they're, they're underused. Um, I know that uh, a lot of uh, accountants and some auditing firms use these tools, but in terms of just regular investors, I find that they're underused, but they're, they're great they're great warning indicators. So if you're about to make an investment, you can easily just you know run it through one of these models, one of these tools, um, like the Benish M score, and see if there's uh, if there's areas that um, of the of the company's financial reporting that uh, that indicate a higher level of risk. And one of the things that I really like about the Benish M score is that it focuses on certain financial features that you know indicate lower earnings quality. Uh, so for example. One of the things that would work against uh, the company uh, with respect to the Benish M score is if the amount of time that it takes to collect receivables or bills from customers is increasing. Um, also, uh, it, it measures the earnings quality, so accruals would go into the the equation as well. And there's there's actually eight different features. Anybody who's interested can try and find my video on LinkedIn. Um, certainly, I'm, I'm coming out with a lot of content on LinkedIn, similar content. So anybody listening to this that wants to connect with me on LinkedIn to get that content um, is, is, is welcome to do that. We're also going to be putting these videos out through uh, Keystone's social media channels as well. So you can connect um, and follow us, uh, follow us that way. Uh, but, but essentially, there's, there's eight features that, uh, that Benice discovered where predictive of whether or not a company was committing financial fraud. And it, they're fairly easy to calculate, and it's a fairly easy model and equation to use. So it's it's something that that I think that investors would be well advised to, to pay attention to. Uh, in a future video, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to create a program that calculates the the score automatically and explains it so that we can see, you know, the percentage of companies nowadays that uh, would fail that test and whereby there would be a high probability of financial fraud and maybe even run some specific companies through it to see to see how they how they would fare. But um, it does take a little bit of accounting knowledge to implement. So I'm trying to take that out of it and essentially appify this this equation, appify this tool so that all an investor would really have to do is take a ticker symbol, plug it in and um, and come up with a result that essentially, you know, gives you the score but also explains it and and what some of the possible risks are so it's quite interesting and there are other tools as well that i want to explore in the future yeah no i think it's interesting and i think like in a future video running 
uh, you know, running a couple companies and running a company that maybe is a red flag that that is going to fail that and um, uh, and come through. Uh, as a company that may be that you would flag, like an Enron, for example, would be a great example to show uh, to show you know our clients and uh, and just anybody any interested investor out there for sure. Well, one of the things I'll just say since you brought up Enron, that's interesting about Benicia's M score is that short, shortly after he published his research paper on it, students from Cornell University actually in a school project used that that tool to um, flag Enron as a potential fraud. And um, that was, I mean, that the the finding was was essentially ignored at the time because uh, Enron was was not known to be a fraud at that time and was a considered to be a respected company, successful company. So it was just the the finding was dismissed. But it was only about two years later that uh, that the scandal on Enron came out and it became one of the biggest financial frauds in history. And Benish himself in 2012. Um, ran his his M score against uh, seventeen companies, high profile frauds, um, just to see how it would fare against those companies. Um, these were frauds discovered between ninety nine and two thousand two, and he was able to flag twelve out of the seventeen companies. So that's seventy percent success rate, which is 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 pretty good. Yeah, no, it's a good success rate for sure. I mean, it's you know he's 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 definitely identifying the right type of companies that can. Uh, you know, have their earnings being manipulated, and in the case of Enron, I think there's it's a good study on potentially groupthink. I mean, it was a company that completely uh, was thought of to be you know a, a, a standard bearer in the industry, and there's no way that this company could be um, it could be a, a, a potential fraud. But you know, I don't th- I don't know if the critical thinking was. Uh, being put to use in the case of a company like Enron, and everybody just didn't dig deeper, uh, is is one of the is one of the things that that happened with this company. It just didn't dig deeper, and you use a, use this tool such as the M score, and it really would have flagged the company like that. And that sh- we should have paid attention to that at the time. Obviously, the market should have, not us. The market. We never recommended Enron. Let's let's be clear on that. Okay, now let's get into our uh, your stock our take. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call your stock our take. Buy, sell, or hold. Quite simply, our uh, an email was came in from Evan here on Beware Holdings Inc. He just asks us our take on the company. Now. Beware Holdings Inc., symbol BEW on the TSX Venture, currently trades at 18 cents. The market cap is 11.6 million, so it's what we'd call a micro cap. Beware is a mobile internet of things solution company that designs and sells hardware with sensors and software applications to track real-time information on non-powered fixed and movable assets, as well as monitor environmental conditions. Core to its solution is the introduction of a Bluetooth alternative to active RFID technology, which has been the standard in the asset monitoring market for years. Beware is the first to market a solution providing long range up to 250 meters, weatherproof enclosures, and feature-rich functionality using low-energy Bluetooth. Now, applications and industries that are served by this technology include construction and utility, any type of goods in service such as uh, pallet tracking, and government assets. 
The key points here, the company believes that it's uniquely positioned for growth due to it being an early entrant in low-cost, low-powered, location-based data solutions. By working with major telecom providers, including Bell, Beware believes that the process of bringing its products and applications solutions to market will be expedited. Now let's look at the recent financials for the company. Revenues for the first quarter increased significantly to 1.4 million, around 68% growth. But the company had a net loss that grew to 506,000 from 454,000 in the first period of 2018. Now, Beware seems to be running a focused and efficient business plan focused on bringing specific IoT solutions to logistics in the most cost-effective manner possible. Revenue growth in the first quarter was very strong, but is off a very small base in the range of around half a million. The company's balance sheet looks good with $3.6 million in cash and not much debt, but Beware will need the cash as it continues to produce losses, not currently distributing its products enough to cover the development costs and overhead. Now, of note, recurring revenue increased 42% in the last quarter to $385,000 compared to $270,000, but again, these numbers remain small. Now, this is not to say the company may not find success and eventually become profitable. If it continues expanding in a cost-effective manner like it has, it may become profitable at some point as revenues are growing extremely fast. And on average, its losses has reduced over the last couple of years. But it is still very small. Beware is a company to keep an eye on as it operates in a relatively young space and continues to experience rapid growth. However, because it lacks current profitability, it does not make our minimum criteria for investment and we would not consider it for investment at this stage. It's a company we monitor but do not consider it investment quality until it breaks into profitability. And we, we, we do get asked a lot of questions about companies that have strong levels of revenue growth, but they're not profitable. And for, for Keystone, profitability is, is always a minimum criteria. I mean, we need to see that a company is able to generate cash profit on the bottom line. And um, part of the reason for that is you, you, you don't really validate a business model unless you can drive profitability to the bottom line. Um, revenue is great. That's that's the first step of of validation. You can you can actually sell a product or service um, and get acceptance. But unless you can do that profitably, uh, you really haven't validated the business, and it's just such a higher level of risk. And while some companies will eventually graduate and become profitable, and it may have been a better opportunity to buy them beforehand, our our experience and our philosophy is always that. You can eliminate so much unnecessary risk just by sticking with companies that have proven uh, that that profit model. Yeah, and that de-risking that you're talking about is essential to um, our model. Essentially, you're de-risking if you if you have current profitability. They've proven out the model to the point where they can make actual good solid cash flow off that business, and it's critical to get to that stage. We've seen companies shoot up on initial revenue growth. Um, and then eventually fall back, and then you can get them right when they uh, cross into profitability, and they can even be cheaper. Sometimes you know they're more expensive, but uh, if you, if you buy a stock that can be more expensive, but uh, you've de-risked the situation, 
it's probably a better investment. And the more you buy with that profile than just buying, hoping on profitability in the future, the better you'll do long term. Well, Brennan, I think you're up right now. We're going to look at our weekly star of the week. From our Stars and Dogs segment, it's time for this week's Star. Star. The Simply Good Foods Company, symbol SMPL on the NASDAQ. I'll let you take that away, Brennan. Thanks, Ryan. So Simply Good Foods Company is currently trading at a price of $27.74, and it has a market cap of $2.27 billion. So how has the company been performing? Uh, the stock was up 17.5% this week from around the $24 range to the $28 range and is up 47% year to date. So what does the company do? The company is engaged in developing, marketing, and selling of branded nutritional foods and snacking products. Uh, They offer a wide range of products such as nutrition bars, ready-to-drink shakes, snacks, and confectionery products. And these are all marketed under the brand names Atkins, Simply Protein, Atkins Harvest Trail, Atkins Indulge, and Atkins Lift. So what is driving the stock? On July 2nd, 2019, the company reported its third quarter financial results, and they were better than expected, uh, and the market loved it, so the stock, of course, jumped. Uh, The company essentially delivered double-digit sales growth in both the third quarter and year-to-date periods, uh, driven by what the CEO claimed in their conference call, a successful marketing strategy that positions Atkins as the brand of choice for consumers seeking nutritions and delicious snacking and meal replacement products for low-carb lifestyles. And again, I want to highlight the end of that sentence that the CEO said, the low-carb lifestyles. Now, speaking in terms of the industry, the low-carb diet also known as the ketosis diet, I believe I'm saying that right, uh, or the Atkins diet, uh, has been gaining a lot of popularity throughout 2018 and into 2019. Uh, I know that uh, it's been kind of widespread over social media and uh, a lot of health nuts are getting into it. Um, So the reason being here is there has been further evidence that a low-carb diet may actually help people lose weight more quickly than a low-fat diet. So, uh, building off of this trend, the company was able to boost sales quite significantly, uh, and of course, their stock price did jump. Now, looking at the financial results, again, quarter three of 2019, Revenue increased to 139.5 million compared to 107.3 million, up 30%. Net income increased to 13.5 million compared to 6.3 million, up 88.7%. Uh, on a diluted per share basis, this was 16 cents per share compared to 6 cents per share. Uh, and adjusted EBITDA increased to 24.9 million compared to 17.94 million, up 38.8% from the previous period. So, looking at the fundamentals, the company does trade at a tra- at a trailing 12-month price-to-earnings ratio of 43 times and also does have some debt with a debt-to-equity ratio of 0.23. So, like I said, the company does have some debt, but it doesn't seem like it's too much. It, it should be sustainable and the company should definitely be able to pay them off. Um, now, looking at the revenue growth that I've been talking about a little bit here... Um, 
the company does have a trailing 12-month period-over-period revenue growth rate of 17%, uh, which is uh, you know a nice growth rate, but it's definitely been uh, accelerated due to this trend of the uh, low-carb diet. So uh, the company does appear to offer some value at its current level uh, if it is able to maintain its revenue growth, uh, but its recent increase in sales due to the successful marketing strategy taking advantage of the low carb diet still has some questions around it as to whether the boost to sale boost to sales will be sustainable um you know now some trends they go for years and years uh, and some you know could last a couple months now i do think that this trend will stick around for some time here uh so the company might still be able to you know boost sales a, a bit more um, but again that is a, a big unknown right now uh, but luckily the the company has been able to take advantage of it and successfully take advantage of it uh, and that makes it our star of the week that's a good summary um, I, I note that in the company's outlook on simply foods they continue to expect that it will end the year strong with net sales and adjusted EBITDA growth up meanif- meaningfully versus last year. Perhaps most importantly, what I noted in the outlook, uh, as we're always looking forward on stocks that we look at, management anticipates full year 2019 net sales and adjusted EBITDA growth to be similar to the year-to-date percentage increases. So they've had solid year-to-date inter- increases in terms of adjusted EBITDA and revenue growth. And they're projecting it to continue at those rates going forward. So perhaps the run in the stock has legs. We'll continue to monitor it. And those gains obviously make it our star of the week. Aaron, I'm going to make a terrible pun here. I'm sorry, but I'm going to ask you a question. Can we trust Canadian licensed cannabis producer Can Trust Holdings? <laughs> You've you've taken the words right out of my mouth. Uh, you got nothing. Now, that right? is the question. That was that was the entire weekly dog. Uh, <laughs> so so our dog of the week from our stars and dog segment. It's time for this week's dog. Uh, let, let's let's discuss that. Can we trust? Can trust? So our dog of the week is Can Trust Holdings. Symbol is T R S T on the, the Toronto Stock Exchange. So it's it's trading today for about $4.66. Um, the stock is down 27%, about 27% since uh, since the close last Friday. Um, and it's also, it's down about um, over 70% um, over the past four months uh, when it had hit a peak of over $13 per share. So Cantrust is a federally regulated licensed producer of cannabis operating in both the medical and recreational markets. It's actually on the medicinal side. It's it's one of the, the, the longest running companies in the space. They have a history of 40 years. They serve more than 70,000 medical patients. Um, and they operate out of their uh, their harvest facility in uh, Pelham, Ontario. Um, so what has happened to the company to uh, send the share price down so far? Well, uh, recently, uh, the company's gotten in trouble from Health Canada. Um, apparently, Health Canada has stated that they have um, uh, grown uh, cannabis in unlicensed facilities. So the company is um, is taking actions to to ensure future compliance here, but 
essentially uh, the the company has twelve total grow rooms uh, in their in their facility, and they were growing in five of those rooms before they received licenses. This was between uh, October 2018 and March 2019. Um, the rooms have sub- subsequently been licensed, so they are licensed now. But Health Canada has put on hold um, inventory that was growing during this period of time where they allege that the company has uh, violated the rules and uh, grew cannabis before uh, before receiving a license. So, um Inventory on hold includes approximately 5,200 kilograms of dried cannabis, uh, and also at, at their at their at one of their facilities. And um, sorry, actually, it's 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 over 12,000 kilograms of dried cannabis in total that has been put on hold. So this is uh, this is an issue for the company. It, it represents about uh, approximately about 25 uh, percent of their current annualized production right now. But I think that more important than then the inventory that's actually on hold is just the message that this sends about the company. Um, if this is true, that they would that they would violate the rules and kind of what situation this puts them in with Health Canada if they're going to be under under a higher level of scrutiny scrutiny in, in in the future. But looking at the at the financials, I'll just walk through the financials here. Q1 2019, uh, big growth in revenue up 140 percent from 7.8 million to 18.8 million, but of course, a big net loss. So adjusted net income um, was a loss of about $9.7 million. So just like the rest of the industry, the company is is uh, is continuing to, to lose money. Management says that they expect to reach full annual capacity of about 50,000 kilograms of, of cannabis uh, by Q3 2019. And they expect to exit 2020 with a production rate of between 200,000 and 300,000 kilograms of cannabis per year. So a big growth trend is what they're hoping to achieve. Now, the crackdown of Health Canada and the subsequent drop in the share price is an example of what can happen when a cannabis company tries to aggressively capitalize on an opportunity and neglects to follow the rules. Um, 12,700 kilograms put on hold 25% of production. Really, that's a, that's a short-term setback. But the future long-term consequences are perhaps uncertain. I think they may have dug themselves in a hole with Health Canada and certainly with investors. Um, so as with uh, all cannabis producers, Can CanTrust is not operating anywhere near cash flow positive uh, profitability and um as they continue to to expand, their losses seem to ramp up uh, further. So until we see profitability in the industry, uh, we would not be interested at all in, in, in the company, as with any of the other companies, whether in the cannabis industry or in other industries as well. Now, looking at their, their future production uh, rate, their target of 200,000 to 300,000 kilograms, now, if they're able to actually achieve that and they're able to actually sell that cannabis on the market, then certainly there's there's massive potential for future revenue growth and even profitability. But one thing that I will have to say is that I don't know where these companies plan on selling all of this cannabis. So 200,000 to 300,000 kilograms per year, you basically only need about three or four companies um, producing that much to supply the entire domestic market in Canada. And there are seems to be dozens that uh, that have grandiose plans for production growth. So I'm very skeptical about them achieving that number. Um, 
good luck to them, but there's there's going to be a lot of competition in the market. So right now you're looking at the company. We would not get involved in it. Can you trust Canatrust? I would say uh, we have to sit back and stay on the sidelines on the company because there's a lot of risk in the name right now. Yeah, it's a great summary. It's not a good look on the company. Not good to run afoul of um, uh, of Health Canada. Uh, obviously, I'm not sure. It's unclear as how the company would have commenced cultivation in unlicensed rooms. Um, how could it, it they showed, could have done that by mistake? I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it shows an inability of CanTrust internal operational controls to prevent this. I mean, you should have. That's something. It really doesn't seem like something that should have been that difficult to uh, to run afoul, or difficult for them to control that and not run afoul of Health Canada in this respect. Um, I think the main topic that you talked about for the industry as a whole there is just the if all this production comes online, where are they going to sell it to? There's you know, and if we have oversupply, that's going to bring margins down. There's going to be more competition, so. Um, it, you know, it, the industry, there's going to be some winners, but, uh, right now, if there's going to be an oversupply situation in the future that again, that'll bring margins down and the lack of profitability and the high valuations that we've seen in this sector, um, bring significant risk in the near term. Now, as far as this issue, it is a short term, like you said, issue for can trust and it can be solved uh by them coming online or coming uh online with health canada but uh it's something that we'll continue to watch it's not a good look in the short term for them to run afoul of health canada again that's going to wrap up our show this week Uh, i'd like to thank aaron dunn for co-hosting with me i'd like to thank brennan also for coming online this week and uh we're still going to evaluate but i think we'll have him back next week right we'll consider it yeah we'll consider it says aaron hell we'll have you back i'd like to wish all our listeners and all of our clients out there profitable investing profitable investing thank you 